Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Let's do it. And here we are, back again together, not to talk about happy things. It's the Real Thing Patriots Podcast, and I'm Matt Chatham, your host, here to dig through this thing. A little autopsy time here. I know a lot of you fans are pissed, rightfully so. Your team doesn't look anything like what you expect it to, at least on one side of the ball. Uh, but I've got a little say to say. I have to admit this. Uh, I, you know, Sometimes in situations like this, when everyone's mad, and rightfully so, I kind of like the exercise of getting to the bottom of it, trying to find out what's real and what's not. So that's what we—that's sort of the role we want to exist for uh, in, with this show. This is why we, why we exist. We want to be able to find out what's really wrong, stay away from the hot takes, or at least test them to find out what inclinations are true and which ones are complete BS. So this is fun. Um, we all know it's bad, right? There's, there's really no need for an expert to find out that it's not good, that it's clearly not working. You can you can find that from box scores and from results, but the why that's why you need these kinds of shows. That's why you need these kinds of reviews, and we're excited to do them for you. The one unique thing about this particular week, obviously, with the Patriots losing to the Panthers on Sunday afternoon, and now having the quick turnaround to face the Bucks on Thursday night football, America's toilet. Uh, we're going to uh, have a little bit different show here than typical. I'm gonna basically dedicate the entire show to picking through the Panthers game, talking about more State of the Union type stuff with your team, as opposed to much bucks. Yes, we'll wrap with some generalized stuff, some stuff I saw in quick review of them, uh, some things I think that will come up relative to what the, the Patriots showed I guess ominously, <laughs> against the Panthers. Uh, but our old MO and what we'll do throughout this season, other than this particular short week, is to grab a guy from the other market, another former player, uh, and who, who can sort of give us some insight on what's going on with the team. That would screw up this entire taping schedule with the Thursday game. I needed to get it to you you know, early as possible in the week because we lose three days on the end to, to download this thing and listen to it and get it rolling before you go to game day. So I didn't want to you know, have to hold off giving this thing to you guys until some interview happened with someone a day or two into it. So uh, couldn't pull it off to get it edited and get it out to you tonight. So I figured there's really more I think you're interested in this week anyhow, and so it was more important to do it this way. So this is all full bore, 100 miles an hour. What in the hell happened in that Carolina game show? And uh, that's what you deserve. I know that's what you want. And I wanted to get to the bottom of it, too. And I thought there was a lot of stuff that came out of it that was enlightening for me as well. I'm, I'm like you guys. I watched that game. I was shocked by a lot of what I saw. I certainly had feelings about what I think I thought I saw. Uh, and, you know, I'm sitting up in the media area at the stadium at Gillette watching, sort of scribbling notes. And it is a little interesting to how, you know, when we do sort of, you know, consumption of games that way. How often when I go back through uh, the tape that sometimes what I thought I saw live doesn't square with what you can see when you rewind it a few times. And that happens to me all the time. So, uh, you know, and I, I think I have a pretty professional eye for this stuff. It's what we used to do uh, for a living. But uh, even in doing that, I make mistakes all the time that you like to correct yourself from what you think you thought you saw happen. What I probably think I thought I saw and, and talked about in the post game on, on Fox 25 and then with Nesson later. Uh, and you find out no, it wasn't exactly that. It certainly was wrong, and it was certainly a problem there, but it was more X. 
So we're going to give you as much of that as, as, is, as is applicable. So let's dive into this thing. Uh, first and foremost, uh, this is important uh, because I think it's weird. And I think weird is what we want to embrace here and figure out what was, what was really going on in this goofy-ass game. Uh, you know, because we talked about this a lot last week about how there should be some, some – I saw some positive matchups from a defense that was, had been struggling with the Patriots for a few weeks anyhow. You're not, not putting the kind of numbers up you'd expect. Big yards numbers, big points weeks, fortunate to come out of Houston uh, with a victory. Uh, but I thought Panthers, the, the way their offense sort of operates, again, alluding back to the Chiefs, I thought it was a, a form, formula they'd now have had a month to look at, would repair themselves a bit in how they approach that, do it better. But now nah, it was actually worse, <laughs> which is a little bit shocking. So, um, you know, that was was bizarre to me. And then sort of the big picture view that came up in this game that you won't see in many, many others. Special teams almost non-existent. Probably something that's not in your top 20 things you thought we'd be talking about when you tuned into the show tonight. But I just wanted you to be able to identify this game and its weirdness and how it sets apart from other games you'll see. Really weird that there were only six total live special teams plays. Six. Now, again, I'm not counting. Uh, I should be specific here. I'm not counting field goals. Field goals and extra points, are, I'm not including those. Clearly, those are special teams plays. But I'm talking about the live return plays, the kicks and the punts. You don't see this. You don't see that kind of volume. And, you know, obviously it registers with me a little bit more because – uh, you know, it's usually what my job was. You know, I'm expecting somewhere in the 20 to 30 play range of special teams, and then, and then a handful of defensive plays as well. So, you know, I'm used to a, a 40-ish play deck for the day, and if I played special teams on this particular day, and all the guys there that did, there aren't that many live plays. It was crazy. All these their touchbacks, but also the oddball thing where there were only four total punts in the game, three by the Patriots, only a single punt. No, excuse me, yeah, four total punts in the game, four. You know. You know, four, three and one. Insane. I, I don't remember, I don't recall ever seeing a number that low. And you know, people want to go to ESPN stats and info kind of thing or something like that and look it up, pro football reference, whatever it is. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this has happened. But that struck me as awful weird. And what that says is, you know, you walk away saying, we know the Patriots just struggled, 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 couldn't stop, get a defensive stop, before it's just their first punt late in the fourth quarter. Uh, but do you realize that the, the Panthers, that great defense that they have, they only forced three. Uh, so it, it was it was a pretty bad defensive day overall for everyone, really, uh, which, you know, you don't usually see these kinds of games outside of the MAC conference in football, uh, you know, MACTION, where it's just up and down and up and down and no one can stop anyone. But it was really kind of one of those games. Uh, zero, one Patriots kick return. Uh, oh, excuse me. Zero punts, three Panthers kick returns, and two punt returns for them. So overall, just a tiny number. You're not normally going to see this. So make note of that and understand that it's sort of indicative of all the other nonsense that happened. It just cut down on that part of the game. So if either team was looking for an advantage there, couldn't get it because there was not that opportunity. Well, here we are then. We will go and dive into this thing. And in doing so, we're going to go play-by-play, as we've done the last several weeks. Not not throughout every – I shouldn't say play-by-play. Play. We're going to go every single play. But we'll go drive-by-drive drive and hit on the big stuff that you want to talk about. And, and on the front end here, we didn't do sort of the reader feedback from a week ago, hopefully. In doing so last week, I answered the, the majority of the questions that were out there. One of the things I, I, I want to do here, though, is because these aren't necessarily reader questions. It's me sort of surmising what I've gotten through Twitter feedback on either the FBF site or our – 
or uh, or my own feet. So these are the big ones. These are the ones you all have been talking about the most. These are the ones I think have been hottest uh, around sort of the reading, uh, newspaper, bloggy stuff, whatever, everything for this market, radio stuff, which I don't catch a lot of because of my job, but, uh, you know, it's out there. So I know you want these answers. This is what we'll be aiming for most of the commentary around. The what-the-fuck coverage problems, you know, WTF. What, what in the world is going on with that? Uh, just from a general sense, we'll go play-by-play, play, but I'll try to come up with some big pictures there for you as well. Defense as a whole, what's going on? What are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? What's working? What isn't? Uh, who's playing well? Who isn't? And some of those things often get lost in really bad yardage days like they've had, bad, bad overall defense days like they have. But that doesn't mean everything's not working, and, and that's not to make excuses. That's simply to try to fix the problem. You have to go sift through the rubble and find out what you do well. And I want to sort of pick out those things and see how Coach Patricia, Coach Belichick, can sort of fashion – full plans around those things. That's basically how this process works. When you suck at something and you've got a quarter pull of, of plays now, you've got a you know a quarter of a season under your belt, it, it's pretty clear at this point what you can't do. You know, you may have done it poorly in week one or two, not so bad in three, and you feel like, okay, we're gonna be able to take a step forward in four. If you're making the same mistakes in week four that you made in week one, that's kind of part of your identity now. So coaching staffs as I've been around them will kind of give it air and if you they've seen you repeat it too many times, they kinda of get to the point where they're you know, like it's not worth continuing ahead against the wall trying to teach you this and fix this. You can't play this. And you're gonna to need to prove us that you can. Uh, we're just not gonna call it anymore. You know, we're just not gonna call it anymore. We'd be better if we could call it. We'd be better if you could execute it. But uh, you know, we're kind of at that point. So I think you're gonna see that kind of game plan and we'll talk into what weeds will be pulled to uh to sort of put this thing together against the Bucks. Uh the Patriots pass protection. I mean, it was a big topic obviously a week ago. Um uh, how did they actually respond uh, this week against uh, against the Panthers? I think quite well. And I'll get into some more details there. Yes, there are three sacks. Yes, Tom got hit a few times down the stretch more so than earlier in the game. I think the three-sack number is a little bit misleading. One of those is a real long pocket sack uh, on a third and longer that they weren't getting anyhow. So he held it, turned down a couple guys who were open where he could have got it away, but it would have been an incompletion. Or it would have been a serious changer anyway because we weren't nowhere near first down depth. So... I think pass protection overall was much, much better. Uh, a lot of guys that played well. But there were segments where they blew a couple games, and we'll get into exactly what those were. Um, Patriots running game. So I think this is something I'll touch on. A lot of people have been asking about it. It was something we talked about a good amount on the Fox postgame show, and then Ness and I touched on it a little as well. Um, it was a weird day, four yards per carry day. Uh, hitting on 80 yards with only 19 carries. Uh, you know, it, I came away with the impression, what I think a lot of people did, that they didn't run the ball well. Uh, maybe because I didn't see them do it a ton. Uh, they had another short yard stop that they didn't get uh, with a direct run play with Gillisley. But I, I don't know, maybe accidentally, you know, subconsciously, whatever, uh, buried that there were some really good run plays in this game. There were really good drive starters. There were there were several instances of chunks when they needed them. Several instances of three play uh, sticks movers, which is great. You know, a first down that's a big chunk, a third that's more modest, and a Brady sneak for a first. You need those. Uh, I think some of the best series they had in this game included run plays. Some of the worst ones they did uh, where they, they had those three punts didn't include much of a run game. And maybe that's reliance. Maybe it's execution, but we'll get into the specifics as we go through. Uh, one final thought here. Well, what's going to change? And I, I think that's probably the big picture question y'all want on all this stuff. I don't have all the answers. I don't have 
any of the answers, but I can try to sort of get into a predictive kind of conversation about what I think they'll do, what I think stinks to high heaven and that they'll smell <laughs> the same and, and either determine if it needs fixing or determine if it needs trashing. So we'll try to get into that to, to give you as clear a picture as you possibly can have going into Thursday uh, so you can enjoy it, but also be critical looking at the right spots and in the right way. So here we go, diving in. First though, Pat, excuse me, first drive, Pat's offense, ends in a field goal. We all kind of understand where that one invariably went. But I thought the oddity here was how clean they started, how, how great the offense looked right off the bat, uh, it, four completions in a row. So you kind of had that, oh, they're clicking. They're going to roll through this thing. And, again, you're getting, you know, really four games, three of the, three of the four defenses are top ten defenses in the NFL. Patriots have seen some really good groups. Carolina, the Texans, those are both considered top fives. Uh, I mean, I'm not even looking at rankings. I don't know what the hell that stuff means. But I'm just saying these are – High high perception defenses, defenses that usually stop people. Defenses that have a lot of good personnel. People that defenses that people have a tough time with. Kansas City, I'd throw them in there. Maybe it's a top five, but a top ten. So three real good groups and an opening sequence where it just felt like gangbusters, four in a row, really smooth stuff. Uh, the very first throw I thought was great. It was a, it was a, it was a Cooks hitch. So Brandon Cooks has had the huge game a week ago against the Texans, sort of his breakthrough moment. Get your first possession of, the, of, of this particular game, and Brandon gets off coverage. Makes sense. You know, they, they watch tape too. And what does Tom do? He, he goes right to him on a hitch. So, off coverage hitting at eight, nine, 10 yards, somewhere in that range. He runs a quick five yard hitch, something where, you know, there's space. The cool part here is there's an, you know, Brandon's extended out at the number one spot. That means a, a receiver who's closest to the sideline with nothing outside of him. So, he's number one. Um, and there's a flat dropper over number two. That means there's a defensive back in over the next guy inside of Brandon, and when nothing happens, that flat dropper has no other responsibility. He can get to the outside and get underneath Brandon so that basically the throw would have to go over a flat dropper and in front of that off-coverage corner that we talked about. So Brady, this was a little bit risky. I mean, it was, it was kind of a cool saying, hey, man, we're, we're going to this guy today. He went right at Cooks uh, with that hitch, with the flat dropper with no other responsibility. Basically, it was a race, which to me is sort of the indication of where Tom's arm is. We all know this, but you know, you might hear it from other places that uh, you know, this, they're expecting the impending doom of this dude's arm. That first snap right out of the gate is a race between his arm and that uncovered flat dropper to get the hitch to beat that to to beat the defender there and to also beat it before the the, the off coverage guy can get down. That was awesome. And so you started right out of the out of the gates here with oh, okay, they still got it and they're gonna sort of capitalize on what they learned from a week ago. People are gonna play them off, we're gonna do hitches and we're gonna beat these 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 extra players they put in to try to disrupt those passes. So next thing you get Gronk is on the backside of trips, skinny post, it's a completion. He soloed uh, the running at Ho- running Hogan at post safety from the other side, I kind of like that. So when you see some of these vertical elements stuff, what they like to do with Gronk, uh, if they're going to push him down the field, they also want to push something opposite him. In this instance, I'm, I'm mentioning Hogan. Hogan's extended away from him. Gronk is soloed on the backside. Gronk does have a safety that can shade towards him, 
but the safety can't lean too hard if there's another vertical element that holds him, you know, puts him back in the middle of the field because he doesn't know if he can shade to Gronk or the other guy. So you see Josh Daniels doing a lot of this. It's like when he wants to ensure that one guy he wants to get the ball to, he wants Tom to favor to him, he doesn't want, you know, little out routes going on on the other side or crossing routes back towards Gronk because then what's that do? They let the safety say, I don't got any work there, no business down low. Uh, nothing that concerns me, I can shade. But they keep doing this. It's smart. It's good football uh, to continue to pressure safeties to not be able to lean to the places they want to go with the ball. You love having Gronk in solo situation as he was there. Big play to keep it going and, and ensures the single opportunity makes a big play early. Quick completion to Amadola after that, six-yarder. Uh, Amadola pick route for a wheel that came after that. So a couple quick things. They go to Amadola, makes a nice, nice quick one. They go right back to him. He runs this wheel. It's kind of like scissors. Basically, they, you know, he. I, I, I tweeted about this during the game that uh, Cooks has already had the the early opportunity, and then they change up the off coverage and press him. Well, as soon as they press Cooks. What's that mean? Well, yeah, let's let's run these little pick things. But because if you're going to have his defender right up on the ball, you can use his defender to sort of help free Danny. So it's, it's either Cooks does the picking or the defensive backs there to do the picking. But there's going to be traffic, so they do the little scissors thing. Amendola gets free, makes a nice reception down the field. Really great stuff. Uh, but now I said that's four. That's four completions. They have the incompletion to Cooks next. He gets off coverage, does a double move, double move. Nice route by him. He's out in the open. I was actually surprised that Tom didn't hit him on this one. It was a missed throw. Cool play. Love the way they set it up. Uh, it was from two-back pro, which means sort of old, you know, John Elway, whatever, like 80s football stuff, where you have two backs in the backfield, only you know one receiver extended from the formation on either side and a tight end in location. And he double-moved him, got it out there, beat the ball in before the safety, but, you know, it wasn't an accurate throw. Uh, so kind of a missed opportunity there, but seven man protection. So keeping everyone in again, it's like eighties and nineties football. So that was different. And it was sort of a change of pace. They missed an opportunity there. And then Brady comes back to the very next play and overthrows the screen. I thought that was a bit panicky. That was the bad play that Tom had in the first series after, you know, after missing the throw prior on the cooks thing, he has, he, he got a little skittish there and you know, the, the pressure was still a few yards from him and he kind of just jerked it out of his hand there a little bit too quickly and flew the, the you know, I guess sailed, I guess, a little bit on the uh, the screenplay. So ends up with an incompletion on screen. So now you're sitting third and ten. And, uh, you know, they, they had a hitch to Hogan. Uh, Hogan got, like, extreme off coverage again, but, you know, made ten yards or just guarding, basically stick step. They get it to Hogan. It's a nice quick play out to him. He's got some room to work with, but it's sort of rally tackling. The corner comes down, makes him make a sideways cut, and all the pursuit from behind gets him. Um, you know, I, I didn't love it. I think we obviously saw a week ago when, you know, he ran a, a jerk route that was short of the sticks. This isn't a, an error in the route. It's just mm, if it's the only option you have, it's a bit of a risk because, you know, you got five yards to work with in the defensive back. Uh, who can kind of hold it off as pursuit gets there. That happened and didn't end up getting the conversion. So you had that sort of sweet start where it's like, wow, they flowed right through the first four or five plays, whatever it was. And then you stall and end up having to kick a field goal. So uh, the big asterisk there of that entire first series is not a single run attempt. A little bit weird. And as I think you'll see as we go through some of the better drives they had, they included running games. So I think that's important going forward, obviously. Uh, maybe the greater piece of context here is the reason you're going to want to run the football more is because your defense is getting high snap counts and not, and they're having trouble st- stopping people. So you don't want a shortened game with quick passing over and over again. Even if you end up in touchdowns, you'd rather have 
touchdowns with time as opposed to touchdowns in no time, clearly. So, you know, just just something strategically, I wonder if they go back to the drawing board and say, hey, man, it's happening. We can't ignore it. It, it. They're having problems over there. And we believe and we have faith that they'll fix it. We got the people in the room here that can fix it. But we can't stress that situation until it's resolved. So I think including more running game, not just for the case of making better play action, not just for the case of having that be another way to find some yards uh, and stress a team in another way. I think for the other part of shorting the game a little bit. I mean, we don't need to be in these 33-30 games, these 36-33 games. It doesn't help anyone. we got to struggle in D. you got to get out of that type. And part of it is long, controlling, sustained drives of your own. So look for that. We'll see. Uh, now, the Panthers' first offensive drive, uh, I think this will surprise people because, uh, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm just like a lot of you. I walked away from that thing, bad taste in my mouth. I'm even referencing here early on all the bad defense that happened. There was some good defense in this game. I know it sounds crazy with as many yards as are on there, but when you, when you review play decks and you don't just, you know, watch the whole thing, you're like, okay – there were actually a lot of good plays in here. It's hard to remember the good defensive plays. It's just these breakdowns are so asinine. The breakdowns are so you know, harmful to what this defense is trying to accomplish that it just overshadows all the good. So I'm going to try to highlight both and just say that this is not a lost cause defense. It's just a really frustrating, talented one that isn't performing. Uh, good run stop to start the game. And I think the very next thing that came up off that is like, okay, slam, stuff, uh, nothing. Now they're going to go back to the controlled stuff, get back on track. You get second and long. A lot of teams do this, and they found early in this very first series one of the relationships they wanted to go back to a lot and did and had a lot of success. And it was Malcolm Butler, uh, who's a hell of a corner, feisty guy, good player, but they felt like they had a mismatch size-wise with him and Funches, and Funches really took advantage of it. Not in downfield stuff. I think the downfield stuff, by and large, Malcolm won a lot of those. When you you can get yourself back in phase down the field, you can go up high point, compete on balls, and, you know, sort of play through the pocket. You, that stuff, cornerback stuff, downfield cornerback stuff anyway. He was really good there, by and large. Um, but he struggled. He struggled on the, the slants where it was just tight coverage, but it doesn't matter that's tight. There's just too much length there. He can keep the ball away from him, shield him with his body. Malcolm had a tough time closing that gap. Ended up in three, four, five. I'm just throwing it against the wall. These kinds of plays where they were big, they were conversions, and then there was the one touchdown later. Yeah. So, again, kind of the same sort of route concept, you know, where it's just stretch them a little bit to the outside and then uh, stick them. And know that, you know, it's going to be tight coverage, but he just can't reach around you. So that's that's what they found. That's good coaching on their part. It's going at somebody that at least maybe low help would have been better, I think, in retrospect. They're going to do this again. Needing low inside help so you can't just throw slants. So you got to force him downfield where Malcolm's ball skills can come into a little better play. Here it's just, you know, it's like basketball. And, you know, it's a point guard defending a power forward. And that can be tough. The downfield jump balls, you know, you time it better. You can, you know, can get away with all that stuff. So I thought they discovered that early. And obviously it, 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 it showed up later in the game several times. Uh, there was a big middle read route uh, against the zone coverage. Uh, this was... This is a pretty poor play by Kyle Van Noy, and Kyle really had an up and down day. You know, we've, I've had a lot of positive things to say for, about him in the last few weeks. Some good stuff. I think it's been by and large good. Uh, but this middle read route is the kind of thing where basically you're extending it a little bit up the seam, and you're kind of coming back to the middle of the field and looking for a hole. Uh, it, it looks to me like Van Noy was spot dropping, and and that phrase may not mean much to you out there if you don't have a football background, but. 
The difference of zone where there's a match concept and zone where there's just you know read the quarterback. That's what I mean by by zone, by, by sort of area dropping, space dropping, read dropping. And one is you go to an area, go to a landmark, and you find the closest thing and go latch it. So it, it looks initially like zone, but you don't just stand in an area and hard read the quarterback's eyes. That's tough to do. And this looked a little bit like Van Noy was doing that. I don't, I don't think the Patriots, unless they're putting some new stuff that I'm completely unaware about or they've erred towards this because I think the guys can do it better, whatever. I don't think they, they usually don't coach just dropping to a spot and staring at the quarterback's eyes. It's more pattern reading. Yeah, you get out into the zone, but then you react to what's around you and you go match it in your area. This felt like guy running to a spot and just trying to you know read Newton's eyes. doesn't work. It fits the middle reading behind him. Big play, um, I just I don't like that kind of concept. So you know I don't know if it's him screwing it up. Maybe he should have been matching, or if they're putting him in that position. Uh, it's the old Indianapolis Colts thing. Everyone turns and runs backwards to a drop area, and they just try to react faster than Brady can flip the ball in there, and they usually fail. So um, it was a little bit like that from him on Van Noy in that particular play, and it was a big chunk play for them. Dixon with the cross action. Uh, this was that Ed Dixon sort of underneath route thing where he starts on one side, goes to the other, ends up being a big completion, lost in the shuffle. There was a screen fake in the other direction. Kind of a cluster F, really. you know. And it was one of the first ones we saw like this. Not a bust per se, where guys are not covering the people they're supposed to, but really dramatic overreaction to play action in one direction and then a huge vacancy on the other side. No awareness back to what inevitably was a play side. So that was a big mistake. Uh, and again, these are first drive stuff that I'm going a little deeper into than I will some of the other drives, but in part because I think they, they give hints to other things that happen, things they discovered that they repeat throughout the game. The biggest thing here that was uh, that, you know, from a positive note deal for the Patriots was Wise's rush, Dietrich Wise, Wise Jr. on the back of his jersey now, uh, for his third down, uh, his third down rush that ends up forcing this field goal. Much like what the Patriots did to uh, to the Panthers, they were pretty efficient right down the field, and then they had a drive stall. Uh, Panthers, pretty much the same thing. And we ended up being this third down rush by Wise, was really dominant against this guy, got him back, 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 and then separated, and then went into chase mode. And you can tell sort of quarterbacks these last few weeks once they detect that guy is in pursuit, it's panic time because he's the one with length who can walk him down. So Wise is a little different than the other three guys that are rushing with him, and I think his uniqueness disrupted that play. And uh, he's kind of that only body type that they have out there. Really an elite rush that ended the game, and I'm sorry, in the last series. We'll get to that later. But I really like the work that guy's putting in. Uh, he's one of the positives in, in, a, in a sea of negative otherwise for this defense. So ends up forcing a field goal there. Now the Patriots move into their second drive. And this was sort of that drive that I'd forgotten about, quite frankly. And I think as, as much bitching, and you know, rightfully so, that, that the people are doing here in the aftermath of an ugly loss, uh, one of the things I think you forget about is some of the positive run game stuff. I'm there. I talked about it a little bit earlier, but what I would say is there was, you know, they went into some traditional run stuff. It's called fan ice. It's uh, real basic where you have a fullback in the backfield. You run to the open side, uh, open side being the tight end, the side without a tight end. So fullback and running back both go back to that open side. They, they sort of fan block, which is just, 
get the guy outside of you kind of deal for the the guard and tackle, and then it fits up inside of them, kind of a hard nose direct run kind of play that's pretty common, old you know college and high school college stuff that I remember in early NFL stuff before spread becomes so much popular. So they had good success with that. They get a five year game out of that to start it right off the bat. Uh, one thing I didn't like about that that I thought he improved later in the game is Gilsley was tackled by the first dude, and the first dude was a corner. You want to see him run people over or at least make the first guy miss. There were a couple of these in the first half where mm, feel like there should be more there. He and I, I wrote that down. It's like, oh, man, he had a hard time making people miss. Well, then he did later. He did pretty good with that on a couple other runs, so never mind. I wouldn't call it an overall theme, but something to keep an eye on there with him. Uh, Devlin hit with the check down. So they're using all, everyone in the offense now. Devlin gets a check down and a conversion. They got a well-designed screen to White that comes up next, but he only gets five, and I thought, I've kind of felt that was sort of the same, you know, connects a little bit well with the Gillisley thing. Blocking on the particular play, much better than the final result. The way Carolina would block, uh, that would get fives, they were falling forward and getting tens. You know, getting, if not a miss on that first tackle or a fall forward kind of thing. Gillespie went straight down. I thought this screenplay uh, in the same series after the Devlin fall forward thing was designed for 10-15. But James White got tackled really early, immediately. Uh, I think he needs to get more out of those, and I've been praising him. We'll continue to do I think he's one of the better screen guys out there. Didn't get as much out of that one. I thought it hurt him a little bit. Uh, Amadola's pass interference on the deep crosser thing comes up. Not going to argue that point, spend much time on it. It's technically correct, but it's kind of ticky-tack, but it is what it is. Uh, it's difficult as a defender if you're, if you're being collided back there. And, you know, they they got a call to make, whether or not they're going to call you a legal contact for you or if they think he's not selling it. Uh, as a defender, I don't, I don't totally mind that one, but it is a little ticky-tack. Now, Brady's sacked, and this makes a third and long situation. He's sacked here. This is the one where I kind of say, eh. You know, the penalty stuck him back. Uh, protection was poor, but you're kind of the third and not going to happen sort of situation. So, you know, it, it's in, in sequence. The protection was great. Third and forget about it. They give one up. Uh, and let's remember that I, I think this is always very important to note. It was a very long pocket, and that's important. It's not just like it was an immediate that they got there. Uh, that matters because I believe this was the play where he had a couple low options. I think Gronk was one and maybe Chris Hogan another, but you're third and 15, third and 20. I don't remember exactly what it was, but third and a whole lot. And the guy that pops open is sitting there at six or seven. Uh, you register sack because you made the decision not to throw that, which would have been insufficient. You're guessing he's not going to be able to get it anyway. So you hold it, hold it, hold it. And then they give up a sack, but it's so, you know, it goes on the scoreboard score sheet as a sack, but it's not as if there couldn't been a completion there if he'd wanted it, but it wouldn't have got a conversion. So it's not terribly helpful. So O-line, you're like, Oh, sack, but yeah, whatever. So anyway, uh, third Pat's offensive series now starts. Uh, Oh, excuse me. So, I'm jumping ahead a little too far. Your second Patriots Panthers, excuse me, offensive series starts. And it, it began with a couple solid round stops. And again, as much as I know a lot of the conversation in the second half migrated toward and right towards and rightfully so, that some of the difficulties in getting run stops, you know, after all these busts and crazy stuff we're going to talk about here in a little bit happened. Uh, there were some gashing on early downs where you get in second and ones and second and twos, which you just absolutely can't have. They that was not a first half issue. The Patriots run defense was actually pretty good. The second series, two solid run stops right off the bat. You get yourself to a third and four. Uh, and this is when Butler has the interception. And I, I think that is sort of a forgotten sequence in this game. Two, three things here happened that otherwise weren't real repeatable things in the game. You know, forcing the turnover, really nice coverage. 
um, and then run stops that sort of preceded it and pushed them in a, to a more of a you know a little uncomfortable situation. Can't run it to get the distance. Going to have to risk something. Newton initially wanted the left side of the field, looked left, was closed down. Coverage was good there. Now it goes back right, and what had happened is Malcolm had fallen off his coverage, and that means basically he got a hitch in front of him, a real short route, I believe, by Benjamin, just like a, I'm going to do a short three-yard route, and they were then going to throw the fade to the inside guy, the number two. And what Malcolm did, it's really smart, savvy kind of thing, it's when he he fell off, air quotes, of his route. He just continued to sink, kind of making himself be directly in line with the defensive back, and the receiver so you're out of the quarterback sight line he's gambling a little bit there that you know he's sort of reading the body language of 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 Benjamin that it's just a BS route he's just stopping essentially and you're kind of looking at Newton's shoulders are up the field his eyes are up the field he's not going to come back to that so you know you know sag a little bit and try to become a part of the other play uh, Newton just turned. I mean, he turned and must have read initially that he thought he had single, and he got an outside release. The fade looks like it was there, but he couldn't see, couldn't see, couldn't see uh, Malcolm at all. And Malcolm makes a great play, a big spot there in the game, and a lot of the other uh, storylines we're gonna have later weren't apparent at that time. But that is what it is. Now we head into the third Patriots offensive series. Uh, it was nine yard drive starter from Gillisley. So, like I said, stretch play, get out of it, you know, right away. Gillisley, nice run. Like, oh shit, I forgot that happened, you know. Nine yard drive starter from Gillisley. Stretched to the, to the tight end side. Nice block by the fullback. Uh, next play, eight yard run to Gillisley. Good stuff again. This one, I believe, hit backside. So it wasn't, so they're sort of starting to mix it up. But you go nine, you go eight. Shit, they got a, they got a running game. They really do have one. Uh, now we flip over to the second quarter. They stretched over a little bit. Um, this is where the BS call on Gronk happens. They just switched now to where they're sort of going into the south end zone. Gronk gets the push off on Keekly. Literally, you know, you, the, what you look for is did he get the elbow high and extend and push off. He literally just dropped his hand. So it's just shoulders colliding. There was no extension. Should not have been called. Thought that was garbage. But obviously there was a redemption here that came after. You'll recall that uh, Gronk sells it pretty well. Really extended play here next that, that followed the pass interference. Excellent protection. I think that's very important. Uh, remember, Gronk is sort of ran his initial route and then goes into scramble rules. He sort of turns back up field, throws his arm up in the air, and then that's when he gets the penalty, uh, kind of running into the defensive back. But that was available because of really, really good pass protection. That was a real long pocket, uh, no pressure whatsoever. Tom did a nice job with it of putting it down there, and Gronk sold it. You know, guys in Hollywood, you know, he's been doing those Duncan commercials. He knows what he's doing. Had that TV time with the kids shows. So guy can sell it, and they needed it. And you can see how fired up he was um, because they got – Screwed on one a couple plays before, so redemption, I guess. But next thing uh, is a screen for three to Lewis, excuse me, screen for nine to Lewis. Um, and I'll hit on him quickly here. Uh, one thing about Deion Lewis is I think in the last few weeks we haven't seen him make many people miss, or he'll, he'll make people miss but not go anywhere, if that makes sense, kind of break them down, which he's so good at doing. But, you know, only end up getting an extra yard out of it. Pursuit gets there, not much comes. I think I'm guessing that was essentially the read they've had on, on his performances thus far. Hasn't hurt him, hasn't done anything wrong, but haven't really been the explosive plays after making people miss. So his rep count was lower. Um, James White would be your leader. Gillisley's right there with him nearby, and then Dion's sort of cleanup, cleanup work, and he wasn't happy about it. He sort of alluded to that a little bit during the interviews this week. So that was nice for him to get involved relatively early. We're in the second quarter here. 
And I thought a little better executed screenplay than what they'd given to James early in the game. So, you know, they're competing with one another, uh, fighting back and forth to see who can get more reps. And Lewis, we know, had the touchdown later in the game. I thought he had a nice game. We'll see if maybe he earned himself some more some more uh, playing time. Uh, Gilsley follows that screenplay up with a nice five-yard run on second and one. That's the kind of stuff you like. You know, they get the big, more-than-you-expect uh, chunk on first down at second and one. You kind of have everything at your – at your disposal here, you can take a shot play on second one. You can do some weird stuff. They just plowed ahead and got a nice five yards. So it doesn't end up being sort of the two-yard brick play. It ends up being a little extra chunk on the end of it. Again, at this point, running game was was clicking pretty nicely. Um, now, the, this is we're deep now into the red zone here, and this next play ends up being the Hogan touchdown catch. Uh, the one thing I will point out about that and I was sort of snarky tweeting about it because it's a, a something that comes up with my, my son I have a nine-year-old that plays flag football and all these little kids at that age eight nine years old ten whatever they are are learning just how to catch you know they they every oftentimes they'll go underhanded with just about everything they sort of bad body language going away from the ball when it comes to them they like to go underhanded and raise those underhands up over their shoulders when and that'll ultimately get them hitting the head because sometimes the, when you go underhanded high underhanded high the ball tends to bounce off your hands and hit you in the face you know or just go straight through your hands so that's why they tell you to frame it that's why you see these new you know sticky gloves with the logos on the on the palms it's to get them up and make that little diamond with your thumb and forefingers uh that's the best way to you know sort of get the tip to go through you know hold it up frame it frame it high so generally as a rule you know you can do the underhanded thing if it's below your waist but once it gets up over the waist you really need to get your hands up. Get them up, do the upward diamond thing, frame it, make the catch. What was unique about that catch is he had run the back line. Hogan had gone, you know, sort of uh, – he runs to the back line. Now he's trying to run away from that remaining defender who's going to try to shadow him. And he catches a ball high up and above his ear, underhanded. <laughs> so it's really not the technique up there. You, you'd rather see him snatch it, you know, palms up. Or, excuse me, uh you know, fingertips up, but he did the underhanded back of the ball thing, which is a really low percentage kind of catch, but again, skill, the guy can play and Hogan made an incredible play there. But I just remember thinking to myself, kids, don't try that. <laughs> that's not the, that's not the proper way. It's hard to do. Most people can't pull that off like Chris Hogan just did. And especially with the kind of velocity that Tom's putting that ball to, to the back line. So he's racing the defender there, gets it there. And Chris catches the back half of it with an underhand thing up over his ears. That was pretty neat. So you don't always see that, but uh, again, tip of the cap there. Really great catch and a tremendous throw. Now we're into the third Pan- Panthers offensive series. I think this was this is where things got a little mucky. Uh, mucky is probably a really nice way to say it. Um, I I really I earmarked this third Panther series is probably one of the worst I've seen all season. Um, and maybe this is hyperbole. Maybe this is just the whiskey talking here a little bit, but. Uh, I don't recall a series in recent Patriots history anyway, or, or at least anything. I don't remember thinking this. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. But I don't remember a situation where every play of a series was basically bad. And that was unique, I think, to this third series. And it's not just, hey, one guy screwed up and that screwed the play. It was sort of ragged throughout. And you don't usually see that. Bad edge early, uh, bouncing out bad tackling, too many fall forward yards. Um, at the 11-minute mark in the second quarter, there's this uh, there's a McCaffrey screen. Uh, it's just, 
I don't understand what was going on here with Landon Roberts, and I'm not doing this to trash him. I think I have license here to talk pretty freely about him because you know I've been a big, a big uh, flag waver for him. I love his game. He's hard nosed. He's very aggressive. But this was a really bad series for him overall, uh, and this particular play was a really head scratcher. So a lot of times the middle linebacker is the whole player, right? Whole player means you know turn and you sort of have an area behind you. Uh, uh, but what you're doing to run and turn to something behind you is if there's a route threatening you. And the odd thing here was that snap of the ball, Landon Roberts just turned and looked lost. It looked like sort of dude running through the woods like you don't know why, you know. And he turned and ran back in that hole while a screen was happening down in front of him. just looked like pretty par- poor awareness. It's not like there was, you know, some post route building behind him and he had to quick get underneath it because play action was going to get, you know, hold him too much just kind of did it robotically and sometimes that stuff happens I can think of experiences I've had myself where you kind of just are memorizing on this play I do this but it doesn't it looks funny because you're just doing it because you remind you know you, the play tells you you're supposed to do that but it, it's completely non-matching to what's going on in front of you I mean, this looked like that it's like okay I get that he was probably the whole player but he's sprinting out of there for a for no threat you know there was nothing else going on around him and why this matters, uh, it's a McCaffrey screen, and McCaffrey's coming from the backfield. So, you know, middle linebacker, usually the easiest reads are right in front of you. And when the back stops, pauses in the hole, you kind of can get a little, little, little antenna signal that something goofy's going on. When they pause in the hole and there's no real pass protection reason to be doing it, you know, a lot, offensive linemen are kind of letting their guys up the field. Usually within a counter two, you can smell smell shit, they say, smell that something's happening. And that was a screen, but you couldn't see it because he turned his back. And having that vacancy there where you needed it, where you needed the body, you know, a guy that's, that usually can ruin screens. And Mike Linebacker can ruin screens if he reads it well. It, it just kind of kills it before it gets started. But his vacancy left the hole and ended up being a big play on that drive. Um, I would say uh, next thing, oh, the bird sweep. Yeah, so bird, B-Y-R-D, I believe is how he spells his last name. One of the other young wide receivers there for Carolina. It was a wide receiver, sweepy thing, whatever, sort of motion back and hand it off to him deal. Um, it was a clown show. I mean, this this whole play was a hot mess, and it's it's hard to, to point to any one thing. If, if you're going back and trying to find the particular play I'm call, ta- talking about, I mean, I got Roberts and Flowers uh, with, I don't know what they're doing, you know, sort of chasing the wrong direction, really poor awareness on that particular play. It was a bad one, just a really bad one. So, you know, there's no – usually Coach Belichick, when he has a play where he's got 10 things going the way he needs and he's got one breakdown, he'll spend time on it. On situations like this, you just, you know, I'm not going to use his swear words on here, but he'll just kind of, what can I tell you guys? I mean, what do you want me to do? What in the world are you doing? And you, and you, you know, that kind of thing. And just saying, who here is – you know, the phrase you all know, do your job. Is that your job? What are what in that world are you reacting to? When if you're you know if you're a right side guy and you're trying to make a tackle over on the left side of the ball, stay home, do your job. We had a lot. There were a lot of chase players on that play that just vacated, and I, it didn't make much sense to me. Um, really ugly play overall. Um, now here you got the touchdown, and again, so that was really mucky, 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 and then the drive was over. It went fast, and there was not much good. No, no good, and the touchdown. This was the I don't know what you want to call it. Um, this is a screenplay that this is a screenplay to Fozzie Whitaker, right? And this one was broken down quite a bit. I wanted to spend a good amount of time on this just to sort of explain that 
I know why it was break, broken down publicly. You know, you see this ugly screenplay with offensive linemen out in front of everything. There's no one else around. Uh, but, you know, the Whitaker. Whitaker catching the ball and just jogging into the end zone, essentially. And one of the natural things that was pointed to was the confusion that was going on pre-snap, right? And I think eyes are drawn to that. Uh, for whatever, ever, I have no clue. McCourty started to not go with the motion across. At least he was a second. He, he delayed a little bit. And I get that. I think for, for a split second, he was a little bit screwed up. But he realized it and then began to give chase. But for whatever reason, Gilmore saw the motion go. Uh, who was in Gilmore's extended out at the right side, the right side, bottom, bottom of your screener for watching it on TV. And Gilmore, when he sees McCourty not quite go with it, he runs across the form. He starts to run across the formation. Under no circumstances are you doing corners over where the corner flops sides and goes with motion. At least I don't, I haven't seen him do much of that at all. Um, so it was bizarre. Let's put it that way. It was where is Gilmore going kind of thing? You know, like, why is he running across the formation? He seemed to be doing it in response to McCordy not. Like, I, I didn't get that. And so I understand that a lot of the a lot of the, the talk would then go to these guys. But remember, and, and rightfully so, I mean, they were they were screwing up, but that isn't what that isn't what made the play into what it was. It, it just isn't because it ended up being a screenplay. Fortunately, if that had been some sort of pass play, yeah, I would, you know, the exposure of the crazy miscommunication of the secondary would have come up. But what was really at issue here is a front seven issue. And that's because when you give up screenplays, it's, you know, they may become bigger than they needed to be because of a you know, missing back end player. And that's what that was with the guys a mess on the back end. But what was the major issue there is the front seven didn't play the screen. And that is first and foremost. And I think people often miss that part. You know, someone who played as a part of the front seven, you know that that's your responsibility first. It's not the, it's not the, the free safety's job. It's not the cornerback's job to snuff out the screen. It's a middle linebacker. It's the ends. It's the tackles inside to not get sucked up field, to smell shit, as they say. Middle linebacker, you can kill the play. Uh, I think on this particular play, um, let's see, uh, on this particular play, yeah, okay. So Flowers, we'll just go through each guy. Flowers is too far upfield. Flowers, I believe, is your right end. Just went way up the field, and, and you have to sort of feel the back sitting in front of you. He's starting to step up, but not really step up the block. He's just hesitating and waiting. That's usually like a, a priff thing. You're rushing the tackle, and again, I'm not giving advice here. I sucked at rushing, so I'm not a, <laughs> I wasn't good at this, but I can, I can at least explain to you what their eyes are supposed to see and how their bodies are supposed to react. So you start to rush up the field, but when you see the back is to your side start to sit in the hole, you know you don't want to run up past the tackle and quarterback because something's going on with that back. So it's when you, you go into a power rush, you go into a delayed kind of thing, you just you smell shit. It's Again, it's that same phrase again. So uh, Flowers is bad. Too far upfield, it really opened up the hole that – that the first cut came through. Uh, Malcolm Brown recognized the screen. I'll give him credit for that. He's the the play side tackle here, you know, also to Flowers' side. He did recognize it, but he doesn't get across the blocker's face, and he gets one-on-one blocked, you know, just turned really easily. And that, again, you can, and, and, and it's important to say this, Malcolm Brown snuffed out a screen later in the game, did a really nice job, and uh, was you know, much, much different than the way he handled this time. So you got to have guys one-on-one get out in space and make plays on screens. For this simple fact, they do it to you. They do. You can go back and watch Luke Keekley busting up screenplays. You can go out and look at some of at Star or uh, any of the uh, – a couple of the other – I'm blanking on names here, but of the of the front, the guys in the, uh, the defensive linemen for Carolina busting up screens, not letting them become big plays. you got to have defensive linemen that shed – 
locate and make that play. So it doesn't matter that your secondary is running around with their head cut off. Um, the biggest one to me, though, was Alandon Roberts, and I think he gets fooled here. And it's happened a few times at this point. He had a rough start uh, where it, it appeared that he had a design blitz on. Like he was either delay rushing or he was just rushing to a particular side, maybe over the back, something like that, because he starts to go immediately into a rush. And it doesn't look to me like a read. It looks like a run-through. Um, but the thing that they always tell you is that when the back hesitates and starts to step up, it's, again, same phrase, smell shit. You, you, you have to – it's called read out of a blitz. Uh, when when you've got an off-the-ball rush coming and you see screen happening in front of you or the things that indicate screen, you tone down your rush because if you rush up past it, you're exactly where they want you to be. But he actually goes away from the side of the screen. And again, when you're the middle linebacker, the guy you see first and most are these backs right in front of you, and that you have to read it. So he did not read out of the rush. He actually went away from the screen side. So you've completely vacated. You don't have a single guy on the second level to pursue this thing. It should be your linebacker making the play. It should be the defensive end not getting too far off the field, retracing and tackling. It should be Brown winning one-on-one to the screen side and making the play. Either of those three guys really didn't play it well at all, which you know then it's it sort of magnifies the issue that your secondary people were more me- messing up as well and made what would have been a bad 15- or 20-yard screen because the front didn't get it right into an easy touchdown because there wasn't that final pursuit element there. But uh, it's important, I think, to at least understand that as messed up as they were on the backside, the front was was not doing much there either. Start to finish, just a terrible, embarrassing defensive series from England. That was it. So, yeah, and that was that was your big stinker of the day. Now, again, it would be great if it ended there. We're at the 908 mark here in the first half, so it's not like it's you know done deal, but we all know that it continues to, to sort of smell that way. So that's what was uh, was disappointing here. So Pat's offensive series now. Get the big James White drive start, seven-yard run. Again, the running game's there. It was part of the game that I had forgotten. First down, sticks route. James White, again, they get it. Gillisley on first down again, six yards. Good stuff. Gillisley, three yards again on second down. Sneak to get the first down. Love those kind of series. Three runs to get the conversion. Next thing is the sack that, Mar- that Marcus Cannon gives up. Bad set. He was a half count slow. Uh, coming back from injury, that might be part of it. I don't know, but uh, you know that was a bad one. So that was sort of one of your hey protection, you know, hey a sack. It's on the scorecard, and they needed that one. Um, now the next thing I will say is uh, this: they had this white screen, so you give up a sack, but they're in to sort of get back on track mode. Um, they have the screen set up really well for 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 James White. And I say really well in that they had the numbers. They had the blockers out in front of it. They had a way to sort of maximize this as some huge play. White's out in space, reads it, times it well. They get two blockers out in space, one of which is just sealing an easy guy. The other guys should be plowing a defensive back, and one guy trips. So <laughs> Tommy, because one of the offensive linemen falls down, trips, falls to the ground, Tommy Davis runs through. And Tommy Davis should have been really the only remaining guy, uh, you know, that gets walled off easily for a giant play. doesn't happen. Uh, so, you know, what ends up, what should have been a huge play ends up being a negative play. And so as a, as a play caller, you got to be thinking, well, what the hell more do you want me to do? I put all the bodies there. We had them in the call we wanted. Uh, y'all fell down. You didn't, didn't execute it well. So the next play is, uh, is Gronk is, is Brady targeting Gronk near the goal line, 
probably one of the worst throws he had of the day. Uh, you know, he puts on a line accurate to Gronk, but I'm saying maybe not r- uh, throws necessarily, but worst reads because he's got a double situation. There's a linebacker that steps in front of it, very near interception, a deep red interception would have been obviously a, a huge deal, but uh, he, he sort of dodges a bullet there and doesn't end up with one. So um, now on third and 12, uh, Brady misses Hogan. Uh, it would have been well short anyhow because uh, – in completion, they were they were short of the sticks, so they'd kind of gotten into a little sloppy play there at the end of their end of their drive and end up with a thirty-five yard field goal. So again, in that regard, a little bit similar to what they had on the opening drive. Panthers' offense are now to the three-minute mark here in the second quarter. They get a good stop on first and second down. Does the defense good stuff? Um, so again, I think this is one of those series where I, you know I'm, I'm like a lot of people thinking at the end of the game they had their first two final good series. They finally forced a punt. Thought they'd forced a second one, but there's that hands-of-the-face penalty. Uh, there was another one of these instances, much like those two at the end. Two good run stops on first and second down, and they get the the flat throw to Funchess, and Eric Rowe is right out there in open field. You know, guy's got his back turned, so it's not like he's facing you to make a move on you. And Rowe just blew the, blew the open field tackle. So uh, just bad missed opportunity there. Should have been an off the field. Um, that's not a mental error. Uh, and again, I think we're you you sense we're pretty far into this. We're we're thirty minutes or so or whatever into the show, and it's I have only talked about one major miscommunication bust, and we're almost to halftime. So I think that's important. You know, the, the, there were physical errors here as well. Uh, that should have been off the field if Roe makes that tackle, and you go into halftime feeling much differently about yourself. Instead, they come right back after that. Uh, you know, they get a restart of downs. Butler slant. Uh, Butler gives up the slant to Benjamin. They know they got something. They've gone back to the well on that. Uh, now, Landon Roberts tackle for loss. His best play of the game. Nice job here in a run through stacks sheds. Uh, gets McCaffrey behind the line. Good stuff. Now they're to third and nine. So it's like okay, back on track. Back into the series. Going to get a stop. This is one of the more bonehead feeling plays anyway this one to me best i can tell from the outside is on gilmore he's chasing a crosser that roe has i don't know why uh the safety communication can't be a part of this so people that you know sort of got that talk going like what are the communicators doing what's mccordy doing or or duran or something like that this isn't this isn't a call that one did or didn't have for some reason gilmore is chasing a crosser that someone else is covering. I don't know why he's doing it. So I, I don't have answers to that from the outside. I can just simply say it doesn't look right, and a safety's communications or a call that someone gave or didn't give doesn't really have much to do with it. Um, you go now to second and six. Again, that advances it. They get this wide-open play to Benjamin. Uh, later on in the drive, you get into a second and six situation, and it's a hot mess reaction to trips. This is the, that other sort of ugly sports center low light kind of play where, uh, you know, Funches runs in the end zone virtually untouched. You know, they've gotten deep in the red zone here. I put some clips up on Twitter uh, Monday morning about this one. This one really was a head scratcher to me. Uh, because there was no motion, you know, well, excuse me, the motion stopped. It wasn't like it hit it on the run. There was a pause, a second or two to figure it out. You can anticipate that motion's coming a lot of times when you have one guy on the ball uh, as a point man and one guy off. You know that any motion to your side creates trips. So you sort of go into an anticipatory thing where, hey, trips is going to probably come if there's any movement our way, and then we go into the rule and do blank. But it was just a hot mess. 
Um, Rowe does seem a little confused. I think that's important to note here because he immediately is looking to Devin uh, as and motioning a little bit, you know, whatever. We're trying to sort of read, read hand signals here and make sense of it all. But, uh, you know, it was a little disconcerting to me to see Rowe immediately looking to Devin and a little bit panicked as if he needed him to tell him what to do or something. But not sure on that exactly, but at least there was communication going on between McCourty and Rowe. They seemed to figure it out. There was a point. It would appear to me that one knew they had the tight end, one anticipated they'd have the other inside guy. And wide is the widest. Uh, that just means Gilmore's the widest defender because he's playing corner on the outside. He is a wide receiver, <laughs> the number one out in front of him in Devin Funches. And Funches runs a vertical outside route. So the idea that and this was sort of in my tweet and then the pictures if you need a visual to understand what it is I'm talking about but when you're the widest the wide, when you're the widest guy and the widest guy runs a vertical route it doesn't make a ton of sense to make any sense to me that the inside defensive back would be responsible for that outside guy he's got to cross two other defenders to get to him it doesn't make sense you're already outside presumably you're going to have the outside route there aren't a lot of calls that require people to crisscross, even when the route doesn't. You know what I mean? So that's just it's just weird. So, you know, again, I, I can't say here's what the call was. I know exactly A, B, and C were supposed to do this. I can just simply say the scenario isn't one that any any call known in the NFL would have you do, would want you to crisscross and say, hey, I'm starting over here. I'm going to have the guy way over there. I'm starting over here. I'm going to have the guy over by you. That's that's, that's not smart because it, it's sort of asking for mistakes. So it's usually a good way to, to back figure and find out who was likely wrong. Although, you know, we're not grading it because we don't have the exact call ourselves. So, again, just a real boneheaded play there. And, and as Rowe uh, allows his guy to come off, the guy that naturally should be his – Gilmore's kind of locked in on him, the little flat route, and all of a sudden no one's covering the vertical. So then Rowe tries to cover up for it and go get it. But by then, the little hesitation by Gilmore, you know, they didn't have it. They were all, they clearly were just not on the same page. And this is indicative of a problem that just shows up way too much. It's got to get fixed or this defense will just not be good. It just kind of is what it is. A lot of talent, a lot of good people, a lot of good players, but they got to play better. Um, now, the, the Panthers, uh, excuse me, we got to go here into the final, you know, kind of a little glimmer you know which is as dark as that felt defensively uh going into the half uh there was the Patriots series before the half where they got the quick offensive series they got a field goal uh and it was big and it ends up being big especially as the score sort of worked its way out but he, and it was really just two plays check down to white where they get some significant yards and a big in cut to Hogan and they end up taking up big chunk of the field and getting a 58 yard field goal so huge kick there ballsy kick by Guskowski um, and you know, the Pats just show some really, uh, really, really good resolve after sitting and waiting and waiting and watching a bad defensive series happen, just sort of a groaning stadium feel after the bus that led to that one, especially after they've been bust before that, but the offense stands up, gets out and puts some points up quick that were, were badly needed, especially as we see what else happens in this game. Panthers first drive of the second half. Uh, Roy Rowe pulls his uh, Eric Rowe pulls his groin on a on a Benjamin completion. It was a little crossing route to start things off. Rowe's right on top of it, but it is completed, and he rolls and a little bit writhing. So the reason I bring that up is I believe they had made the move where Gilmore was going to get a little less time. It looked like there was some sort of penance coming for for some of the stuff earlier, but it never played out because Rowe pulled his groin immediately as the second half started. And now he's out, and he, you know, was listed on the injury report today. On excuse me, on Monday, 
for uh, a groin, and uh, I got to assume that he's in a little bit of danger here in a short week of being available. Um, and it led to some of the other stuff because he's no longer available. So, you know, they're not able to sort of punish in the midst of some mistakes because they're a little thin at that cornerback position when a guy goes down. So uh, there was uh, a, a Dixon catch in the seams. Ed Dixon, another big tight end, 6'4", 250-ish kind of guy. Uh, McCourty is sort of a zone dropper here. Dixon's running a little bit fake to the outside and back into the seams, sort of a double move kind of thing. Winning route, good route, makes play. McCourty needs to cover that a little tighter. I think he's the kind of reactive safety that usually makes that play, didn't on that day. I'd say if there was a knock on McCourty for the day, it wasn't his best man-to-man day. Gave up a couple, tackled well overall, uh, gave up a couple, maybe maybe it was even three. Um, I don't have the like a, like a gave him up count kind of thing here. We're just more sort of rolling through them. But I'd say the plays that he gave up, the, 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 the after review kind of feel is less about communication as if he made calls that, that put people in bad spots. No, he made the calls and people just didn't execute them very well or didn't know their own responsibilities. Um, his issues are more, at least for the day, the ones he gave up were more physical. So uh, you can live with those in my view. Now, a screen as a cornerback blitz. Um, this next thing came up and this is sort of after they had a, a couple knocks here, first couple completions, uh, Patricia decides to dial one up. He's going to do a little corner blitz. And this is sort of one of those really unlucky moments, quite frankly. So this is a little less a bad football and just, I understand the train of thought from the coordinator. You've just given up two completions in a row. You might as well go, you know, too easy, way too easy. So you might as well go pressure and try to get the ball to the hands early to not leave these defensive backs that are struggling a little bit out to drive. And what they end up doing is they do a cornerback blitz, and it's the inside corner. He's aligned over number two. He goes on the snap of the ball. Ends up terrible timing because uh, the screen guy was the guy that was aligned that was aligned at number two. So I don't know if that's going to make a lot of sense to you on a radio show or on a podcast where you can't visually see it, but if you see the guy that's sort of aligned in the slot, when the guy over him blitzes and he's the screen man, it's sort of like losing a body, you know, it, the, the blitz doesn't affect if it's going to be screened or not. It's coming out one way or the other. And now you're down a tackler, you know, so any offensive lineman that's peeling out there, they don't go get the on the ball guy initially because he's not there. So they can advance up to the next guy and ends up making a lot bigger play than it should have been. So that's just bad play call for the play call you got. You obviously didn't know it was going to be a screen. Uh, you were blitzing for other reasons, hoping to affect drop back and you got that. So, some dumb luck there. Um, bad timing, bad call for that situation. Uh, Big Stewart run comes up now up the middle. And to me, this is this is asterisk for me. So we're now in that first drive of the second half. This is the first run defense knock where it's like, ooh, big one. You know, big one right up the middle. Ooh, that's – no, can't give up 10, 12, whatever it was, right up the middle. Um, and that was sort of, oh, man, now they've got that problem, right? Hope not. Um, and unfortunately, the very next play ends up being a forced fumble. Uh, Flowers, huge play. And again, uh, this was not a day where where it felt like there were big, good football plays happening, but Flowers reaches in there, punches it out. Uh, Landon Roberts recovers the fumble, ends up being a big stop at a time where score looked imminent. 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 They were. They had. They had marched down the field. It was pretty obvious that the Patriots were struggling to stop them. But the nice, timely heads-up punch by Flowers gets it out and sort of saves the drive. That was clearly huge. And again, guys, we talked about this earlier. Uh, it, there were so many oddities in the game, and this is one of the bigger ones. 
now the Patriots are plus two turnover margin. You know, they've gotten it off them twice. The Butler pick, this fumble forced now by Flowers. They've gotten two off of them against a road team, and they still end up losing this game. That is such an outlier kind of scenario. It just almost never happens in Foxborough. So tough to come in here and, and lose with negative turnover differential, much less a, a two spot. That was weird. Now, the backed-up Patriots series starts here in the third quarter, 11-minute mark, 13-yard Gillisley run, breaks tackles, good stuff, great drive starter. Again, sort of contradicts what I thought was a thing in the game, which is no running game. It was there. It was there, and it helped them. There's another six-yard carry that follows. Uh, the big miss that we all sort of talked about a lot in, in postgame, uh, Dwayne Allen gets himself open. This is off play action. It's very That's a very important point because they've been two successful runs in a row. Now they suck everyone up, and they get a long extended pocket. Brady's back. They're off play action, a more pro-style kind of thing. Allen's down the field, their sideline, deep route, comeback, whatever City's doing out there. And uh, Brady missed him. So, you know, it wasn't, they didn't decide to challenge it. The replay I saw, at least broadcast, wasn't tremendous. So, didn't know if I really wanted to jump on a, uh, the, you know, advocating for a challenge there. I thought Allen did a good job of kind of scooping hands under the ball. But, you know, I don't know if he just faded away too much and was supposed to come back to that thing more or if it was just underthrown and it was on Tom. I don't know. But the fact that those two haven't uh, connected in any meaningful way yet is is it's been a knock on this offense and and you need them out there to make a play or two to keep them keep them honest and you can see you could see the guy's frustration after and he's a he's a quiet pro he's a he's a proud pro he's a really good player but he's been completely non-existent in the in the in the offense and he knows that for 3 weeks and that was an opportunity to sort of ah my aha moment break through do some stuff other than all the great blocking that he's been doing. And it was a missed opportunity. You could just uh, see it sort of seething in him uh, as he's sort of walking back to the huddle or back off the sideline after not doing it. Um, this next play, this was bad. And this is sort of, if you want to have an issue with the protection for the day, this was your spot. There was the one cannon sack earlier where he kind of uh, you know didn't get out of his stance quickly enough, half step late. This was sort of a jailbreak sack on the right side, right guard and right tackle, both blow the game. There was a twist game between them, end and tackle against guard and tackle. Twist game, guy gets in the gap, makes the pick, and then both come through. So basically, either the two rushers ends up with maybe could have gotten the full sack or they both ended up with half. I didn't see how they scored it. But jailbreak sack in a game, you hate those. Jailbreak just simply means it's not one guy gets through. It's like the whole, all participants basically. So that was bad. This sends them into a Pats defensive series now. Uh, we're in the middle of the third. Uh, poor job by Cassius Marsh. And it, not overall in the game. I thought he actually had uh, several good plays. And I know people are kind of bang it, bagging on him out there. I've, I've seen it because he's you know not a name you know. I think overall he's actually grading all right. And you know not, not alarmingly poor or anything like that. Or not even poor. I, I think he's probably grading pretty high in like an 80s kind of range um he certainly does have a handful of negative plays this is the big one this is i wanted to point it out because it was a missed opportunity to set the edge he's at the left outside linebacker spot it's third and two and he lets out newton out on what is essentially a dead play uh it was dead it was dead you know newton had tried sort of the the designed run thing into the line it was stuffed in front of him he had nowhere to go but he bounced it back to the outside because Marsh had gotten, you know, they call it nosy. So you, you, you get too heavy into the blocker and don't keep your outside arm free you, so you can bounce and make that play. You need to get overstep it. You need to be a step or two out in front so that you can release because he knows where he's going and you don't. That's just sort of a, 
you know, like an old one-on-one thing for outside linebackers or defensive ends. That was a bad job by him and ends up keeping the drive alive. This matters because, remember, this ends up in a touchdown. This this drive ends up with points, and that was sort of a dead play missed opportunity, so not a good one there. Um, this is also the drive later on as this thing extended. The Patriots go get them into another third and eight situation, but and it's incomplete on third and eight, which should mean the series is over, but it was undone by an illegal hands of the face. Away from the ball, the first one on Gilmore. A little bit ticky-tacky, but sort of by the book, and it's kind of what you're expecting from Boger's crew. Um, Jerome Booger, Booger, whatever his name is. Um, they like to throw flags when they do Pats games, and they threw a lot of them at the Patriots, and that one was pretty ticky-tacky, but at least it's like, okay, line in the sand, now I get where you're calling them. Got to play it that way. Um, so again, we, we sort of foreshadowing here. We understand where this thing goes later in the day. And that second one that ends up really sort of killing the ending of the game. So you got to learn from that lesson, uh, not say things like, you know, I'm going to, I'm always going to be aggressive. It's not really about that. It's more about playing how they're calling it. And you got to play smart. Once the first one happens, you got to learn from it. Uh, Marquise Flowers in this drive does start to get snaps. That's important. Um, new guy uh, brought in from Cincinnati. They were having troubles getting stopped. Put him in there. Actually did a nice job on a couple plays. Nice job on this drive. A couple tackles, a uh, couple stuff around the line where he'd gotten his edge pretty solidly and then made some plays. So keep an eye on him. I mean, I they're, think they're mixing stuff up right now, and he seems to be a guy that tackles really well in sec- on special teams. Looks like they want to take a longer look at him to see, hey, man, we need some people on the field who can make a play. And he's going to get a shot going forward, it appears, anyway. At third and seven, uh, this is this is the killer. Uh, Newton just simply reads five-man, and that means pressure. So uh, the, the worst thing about pressuring Cam Newton is he's a long strider. He sees well over the top of defenses because he's so tall. So you can't really hide the fifth man. He's out there. He sees them. And he knows that when he's got five coming, and if he's protecting with either six or seven, he should pretty much know where that hole is going to be. The one spot where you're not rushing seven. You don't have every single gap accounted for. So somebody's going to be in a double situation. It's wherever that double is, there's going to be an open gap. And he does a good job of recognizing it. You take five with him, oof, you better be under control when you come with a fifth because you might be retracing because he catches it, sees your fifth, and runs right downhill. Ends up being a huge conversion on third and seven. Next thing is the slant to Funchess against Butler. Again, that's the third time. And uh, one of the reasons that doesn't happen is because Deb McCourty's in the game but not playing deep middle field safety. They've got him down. It's called a seven technique, which is sort of close to and in the line but a little bit off and inside the tight end. So he's down to play man-to-man on the tight end. What does that mean? That means that you don't have an off-the-ball help inside. You know, if you're going to bring him down tight to the line to try to man up Dixon or the tight end that you feel like is a threat, you do that with a safety who can cover him well, and DMAC does, but it takes away help elements. And when McCourty's getting this slant by Funches, there's there's nothing to hold off. There's nothing to dissuade the inside slant. And McCourty, and, I'm sorry, and, and Butler's playing outside man, which makes sense down in the red zone. Post safety's drawn, I believe, and he's way too far away to be a, be a factor on this play. So because you don't have a linebacker that's side because you're playing one off the ball linebacker with the five-man front stuff, and because McCourty is down-pressed, there's just nothing there. So, you know, Funches takes the route to a stem just a yard outside to kind of widen Butler slightly, and then runs a slant on him and just, you know, 
he can't get there. He's too big of a guy. So if you're going to have these physical mismatches with the smaller corner, it happens. Occasionally you'll end up with a 6'5", 6'6", wide receiver. It's better to have low help to dissuade, low inside help to dissuade sort of the quick throws to them and make them be down throw, field throws where, where McCourty, can, McCourty or, or, or Butler or, or Gilmore or any of them can compete in just high point balls. Uh, it's the body the body position stuff low that that you get killed on too. They'll have to look harder at that because now if if a team comes up, you know, like Julio Jones, if his if his hip or whatever is better later when the Falcons play the Patriots, and you just have one big body guy, uh, and if they want to try to find him and locate him and put him and Malcolm for that reason, you know, you're gonna want to you're gonna want to provide health elements to dissuade some of these easy throws and let Malcolm just go be Malcolm down the field. Um, Pat's offense. Now we're through three minutes left in the third. This is the big, uh, big cooks in cut. Great route. New one. We haven't seen much of from him, but that drive stalls. The Panthers started out uh, now started back themselves. Now with one minute to go in the third, Malcolm Brown does a really nice job here, sniffing out the screen. And I was critical of it earlier where the big one that ended up going to Whitaker for the ugly touchdown where there were all those other mistakes. The one of them was Malcolm not playing it quite as good as this. So, you know, tip of the cap to him because if we're going to be critical, you got to be fair to here too. It was an in-game mistake that he played a lot better when they came up in future situations. So I thought a good job there by Malcolm Brown. Sniffs out the screen himself. Now here comes a big Benjamin completion. Another one of these damn things on third and four between three zone defenders. This is another one of the sort of uh, Benny Hill music kind of things where you have three zone defenders down the field. Um, the, the, the route is run into a circle of these three defenders and you get none of the three of them really matching the route. It sort of feels spot dropish, which, you know, we always laughed at other teams that did that against us and watch Brady torch them. This one just looks bad. It's like there's three defenders there. They're not really guarding anything. They're regarding areas around the receiver. At some point you have to acknowledge, Hey, he's the only one anywhere near me. Latch him, make it uncatchable, but it don't end up being a really ugly play. Uh, the kind of concept if it is a concept uh, the zone spot dropping cannot happen it just doesn't just doesn't work makes you have to be like a superhuman reactive kind of defender to ever make it work so um you know hopefully that's something they should can we'll see uh, McCaffrey runs an angle on Van Noy down deep in the red zone this to me was actually pretty good play by Kyle uh because he tackles it immediately it's completion yes you know but he's out in space and they've sort of gotten rid of the the box help elements there so Van Noy's extended on McCaffrey all that preseason talk I know he hadn't been super productive in these first few games but it's still terrifying that he's going to run that angle across your face there's nowhere else no help around you and it doesn't at least end up being a touchdown so I mean this is sort of obviously a small moral victory as much as anything uh but the next play uh, maybe the ugliest play of the the ugliest on the ground play other than those other uh, excuse me on the, the ugliest ground play we know what the there's a there's a lot of competition for ugliest pass play but the ugliest run play is this newton touchdown run uh, right here towards the end of the third quarter um kyle van noy is playing the will linebacker position will is the one that's away from strength mike linebacker is two strength and Van Noy really badly overruns it. I don't know what he's doing here. He's sort of chasing across the ball. This is a good example of not, air quotes, doing your job. Um, I would say this is one of those. You had a play side backer. I believe it was Landon Roberts. So he's the one that has to pursue hard to any action to his side and does. But Van Noy kind of chases after him over the top. And what that means is no longer have a cutback player. You don't have the weak side B-gap player. And as soon as Van Noy took those couple strides overly aggressive towards you know, the back flaring or whatever else was going on at the other side, Newton just ran right where he left. 
it was it was that simple. So just just really bad football. That that was bad football. There's really no way around it. Uh, I know that's what Coach Belichick would call it, bad football. You cannot, if you're the backside player, over pursue to the front side. They don't need you there. They need you where you were aligned, and where you're responsible. So that that was a really ugly one. Up, ah, I know this is getting dismal, folks. Let me have a sip of whiskey here. I need to wake back up. Because this is how it was going, though, and this is sort of how you consume that game. Mm. High West, double rye, good stuff. All right, back at it. Pat's offense, surgical touchdown drive. Now, give him this, all right? You know, as much as the sort of Debbie Downer stuff that we're going on here with the defense on a really rough day, one of the things that does happen here is is answers. There were several offensive answers, and and that's really important because it talks to care. It speaks to character. It speaks to what's going on with these guys. It speaks to them understanding sort of the turn, the eye of the storm that they're in, the tornado around them. Uh, that the offense needs to answer in these sort of downer times, and the defense just had a terrible series. Uh, you know, and it ends with the ugly, you know, Newton sort of feeling like he's plowing through the defense in those last five yards. It's just, it's disheartening, especially as a defense when you just, you know, you looked bad, right? And you kind of sulk off, you know, hopefully not, hopefully you jog off, but, you know, you can feel the emotion sort of let out of what your D is doing. They're just searching for answers that time and nothing's working. And, it, you know, it turns out it wasn't calls, it was just execution. But the offense, they come out in that environment. And they go surgical. That's very important. There's a couple of really important white plays there. Uh, James White had some nice positive stuff in this drive. Gronk does a sit route on fourth and two. That was interesting. You know, a lot of his stuff has been downfield, big play stuff. He was the gotta have it guy on a fourth and two that happened within that drive. Uh, this thing ends in that Lewis bounce out run. Showed some great speed there. I think his sort of recovery from the knee is basically complete. Uh, he showed great burst there, ran away from the defensive back. Uh, good stuff there. And ding, 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 ding. A great seal block by Hogan and Gronk. They're they're sort of crashing down to that edge to create the space on the outside for Lewis. And they deserve a ton of credit. You know, we talk about catches. We talk about all that stuff. Uh, combo blocking with wide receivers and tight end, completely wiping out of the side and creating that situation. And that brought them back to within seven. All this crazy stuff we were talking about. And the Patriots have worked it back to seven. Now, Pat's down seven. They go on defense. First thing I saw here, and this this got me juicy. And it also reminded me that I hadn't seen much Adam Butler until that point. Oddly, had had a real minimal role. I don't know what his rep count was at this point, but I hadn't seen him. And they start the drive. Adam Butler bull rushes bulls his guy and i'm telling you was tackled to the ground i thought it was one of the blown calls in the game the 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 uncovered offensive lineman to the side of the guy that was bowling getting bowled by butler comes back in and kind of grabs him kind of you know takes him to the ground a little at least aids him to the ground while he's running the other guy over i felt like it was a tackle i felt like you know the offensive lineman is hell is getting killed and the two of them end up taking uh, butler down with him it's the kind of play that could draw a flag uh, you know, fortunately, you, you know how the the story ends. They actually get a punt here, um, but you know, I thought that was one that could have easily been second and twenty and, and put in a better situation. But instead, you get second and ten. They get themselves to third down. Tremendous uh, spin route by Dante Hightower. He does a little counter, tries to stab inside, spins out of it, gets up the field. Guy's a playmaker, man. I mean, I know he's struggling with a knee injury. I didn't talk about this. There were series early in the game where he played a little off the ball inside linebacker 
we'll cap that with some thoughts on him doing that going forward. But, man, the guy has the gamer gene. He really does. Uh, Hightower has, has come up in big moments so many times. I know there's dark cloud over everything these guys had done defensively throughout the game. But they needed two big series at the end, and other than the Gilmore hands of the face, they got them. And it was big-time play by Hightower. This was a big-time play. It really was. Uh, got them off the field, w- gives the offense the ball back. The offense starts now right at midfield because of where the, the sack happened and the punt wasn't too wasn't too impressive. Um, deep comeback, laser to the outside, completion to Cooks. That's your drive starter. You know I love that route. I've been tooting that horn here for the last several weeks. When they get it, it creates new stuff. Great protection on that particular throw. You needed it. Now, this was the disappointing part. We know that the drive does end in a touchdown, but because of the, the sort of the complimentary, complimentary play you expect by virtue of getting the deep comeback, the next thing is going to be slant opportunities. Like, okay, we can't sag. We're going to aggressively play here. Now you can release for some catch and run opportunities. They come right back to the complimentary play. It's like, okay, I see what they got it. Now they're going to do the thing that, that stresses you the other way. Now that the guy's going to react to the other thing. It cooks drop that slant pass. So that to me is sort of the thing that's keeping him from being Antonio Brown. I use that. I'm going to continue to use it. He'll, he's had the big plays. He's had some of the same stuff, but you need to be able to do the short after the long or the long after the short or the complimentary sort of seesawing. Um, and he's been more of the big play, but not the thing that comes after it. So still some room to grow there, but again, it's, it's just quarter pull time. So we'll keep an eye on it. Um, uh, Gronk gets a seven-yard catch. That keeps things going. Uh, Amendola almost gets broken in half. This guy's nails, man. Uh, I love Amendola. Watching him play. Big first down catch in that spot. Gets crushed, but he got beyond the sticks. Makes the catch. Next, they go back to him. Big Amendola catch down the field. That's the thing that really moves the chains. Nice chunk play. Good Lewis run right after that. Gillisley with a short yardage fail. I'll, I'll briefly touch on this. Uh, there was no movement, and I don't like that. I've mentioned that in past shows. But when you line in with a strength side in one of these three tight end sets for short yardage, and you don't motion either the fullback or the third tight end. You don't motion the receiver across the formation. You don't make the defense think. You tell them what the point of attack is most likely going to be pre-snap. You don't lie to them. In other words, with, with any kind of pre-snap stuff or any kind of motion or movement post-snap. You run with direct uh, sort of the point of attack at the side you expect it to be. Those are easy. It's much easier as an off-the-ball guy, I can tell you that much, and it ends up being a fail for Gillisley. But, you know, I have a hard time putting that on him. You need a little better play call there. I don't love that. Uh, Amadola with a backline TD that comes next. And, you know, again, I use the phrase nails. I think that's, you know, he's a Dykstra. He's, he's a guy a lot like, like, uh, like Julian Edelman before him. Uh, this guy just comes up in a big spot, never feels like the – like the moment's too big for him, runs that back line so smooth, taps really three feet on the on the route. Uh, tremendous throw by Tom. The back in it, tie game, crazy, you know, and it's sort of ho-hum. They did it again. They're about to. Here we go. And that was a feeling. Uh, but unfortunately, Patriots' final defensive drive uh, is – is unended by uh, a stupid penalty. And Marsh makes a nice pursuit tackle. Again, I, I've told you his name came up a few times in this game for me uh, in my notes. And uh, uh, one was a negative for a, for a bounce-out play that cost them on a drive, but uh, there were a few other, few other nice ones. And this was one on the, the drive they needed the most. He gets a pursuit tackle. It was helpful. They needed it. It's third and seven, and uh, third and seven on this final drive, the best pass rush by any human being in the game. 
on the day, in my opinion. Uh, Dietrich Wise just straight stabs, then slaps hands of the guard in front of him, leaves him in the dust, I believe it was number 70, just falling on his face. When you make a, def- a, a guy fall down in close quarters, you're doing something. You've, you've taken advantage of his lean. And with all that length that Wise has and his ability to clear his hips that I didn't know he had in camp, his live situation, big moment pass rushing has been very good. Elite move there, dude. It was good. It was really good. You can go watch that on that final drive if you want to look it up there on the NFL Game Pass or highlights or whatever. That was exceptional. Holy smokes. Great stuff. Makes the guard fall down. Huge sack to end the series. Woo! We're all we're all getting laid, right? No. This ends up being the Gilmore hands of the face. And why is it aggravating? Why would teammates be a little more edgy about that? Uh, granted, they're never going to take it to the podium. They shouldn't, right? You had to back your guy. Gilmore made mistakes. You do not want to point fingers. They didn't. I think that's very admirable of them. As analysts, we got to kind of call spade a spade without trashing the guy, but just simply saying what makes it worse, uh, the insight here from what you'll get in from the coaching staff, from your position coach and Josh Boyer, uh, is, you know, I can excuse the first one. I can't excuse the second because you got the indication from the crew what they were going to call. So there's no more incidental. Hands have to stay lower. This is the winning drive of the game. This is the final drive of the game. You have to be on your absolute sharpest. And Gilmore getting his hands up high on a, on a six five, six six receiver. Yeah, that you don't need to get that high. You know, you got all sorts of chest right in front of you. You're only six one. So that to me was the harder one to swallow. And again, I, I love Gilmore's. I love Gilmore's game as far as what he can do in man to man coverage, as what he can do as far as playmaking down the field. I've been frustrated, like I think a lot of people, to not see him take the next step and have the mental game follow it as high level as a physical can be. And I thought this was an example where it was just an unforced error. Didn't need to do it. He didn't need to jam him up there. It didn't really provide him anything, and it ends up killing the drive stop that you had. You get a nice cover, though. Yeah, they get the restart. Uh, Butler, they go ahead and take a shot play on Malcolm Butler. Does a really nice job there. It's a near strip sack on that same play by Trey Flowers. Really nice rush by him. Just misses, <laughs> misses excuse me, uh, Cam Newton's arm. Reminding me a little bit of the Denver, uh, the Denver game, Denver Super Bowl, when, when Cam's arm is sort of extended out there for the downfield throw and leaning back in just to get it is is um, one of the outside linebackers for Denver. I don't remember who it was particular on that one play, but it looked like the exposed arm and crunch time thing. And I was like, oh, Flowers just missed it by a fingernail. Uh, the next thing is a designed run by, by Newton. Ends up for eight yards. That's huge for them. That was the backbreaker of this game. Um, and, and ends up sort of that eight-yard run and then the holding call that came later uh, – which is asinine. You know, the idea that they would call holding, holding, reset the downs on uh, Patrick Chung where he's throwing the blocker to the ground. He's not, he's not throwing a, a wide receiver to the ground on the pass play. He's, he's shedding, throwing him down. Yeah, he's got his hands on his head, but that's not illegal. Uh, you can do that. You can push ahead. The guy's ducking his head. He almost looks like he's half cut blocking or attempting to dive down at you. Defeats the block, throws him down, and they call holding. And that really sort of directed the – the notion of uh, centering the ball and sort of running the thing out to kick the field goal for Gano. So really hated that call. It was bad. It was bad. It was bad. All right. But that was a, that was what, 50 minutes of 50 minutes of, of a walkthrough rant on the game. And obviously we touched on a lot of, a lot of clearly bad things, but what we need to do here is pull out the threads, pull out the threads that were consistent, talk about what they'll do to change them, sort of blunt talk about what's wrong and how they fix it. So 
one of the things that I think uh, in regards to this communication issue, right? I've indicated this a little bit in some of my tweets, but I want to be as clear as I possibly can here because I think sometimes in preseason games, I'm probably guilty of this as much as anyone, of making too big of a deal to you guys or to, to people who hear sort of broadcasts or, or shows that we do or whatever, that this green dot is, you know, the the end-all say-all, that, you know, it's the, the person that makes the calls is like on-field God or something. And that's not really the case. I think that's really oversold. The play caller does this. The play caller tells you what we're all supposed to be in. That's it. Um, you know, the notion of a quarterback on the field, those are helpful. You know, and Devin McCourty is an extremely smart guy, but it is not Devin McCourty's responsibility to tell everyone what to do. You're surrounded by pros. All the pros are supposed to know what they're supposed to do. The The notion of a quarterback on the field on defense or a, a really good, air quotes, play caller is that if there's a motion and you need to change the call, they're good communicators. They get you in the right stuff. But getting you in the right stuff just means changing it loudly to the correct thing, not going through the list of, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you take this, and you take this. You can't do that. that that's not his responsibility. It's the pro's, pro, the pro's job is to know what the hell you have with the call. It's just them to echo what that call is. So the unfortunate part of this is you've got too many people post-snap not knowing what to do. Um, and that's inexcusable in my view. We had probably one of the best quotes of the weekend from Duran Harmon, who I've really you know, liked as a player just for how accountable he is, makes plays, quiet, unassuming. He's always been sort of a gamer to me. And when stuff goes bad, he's usually one of the first guys to step up and say it like it is. And I like how Duran Harmon just kind of said, you know what, He's asking questions. He's being asked questions about this communication issue and what you can do. Do you dumb it down to try to make sure there won't be errors? And he says it pretty bluntly. We did the dumbing down last week, right? We, we, we've, we've already had these conversations for a few weeks. We've already stripped it to where any pro should be able to get this. These, these aren't the kinds of calls that should give you communication errors. And that was sort of what I drew from it anyway. And I can think of what some of those calls would be without sort of drawing them for you guys and sort of illustrating exactly how they work. Just trust that a lot of the confusion should be taken out. It just goes, they are more toward logic. If you're the first outside, you're probably taking first outside. If they're locking the point man in a bunch, the point man being the first guy or the first guy in a stack, which is one and two, or a bunch is three, uh, sometimes they'll take one of the three guys out of the potential coverage guys and just lock the point, lock the first man, and then it's just up to the other two guys to sort out first inside, first outside, or first vertical, first short, whatever it is. There's a lot of different calls they have, and we're not going to get into sort of evaluating all of them. A lot of these things have tags on them. Where So it's basically a coverage call. Say, you know, the front is under cover four or something that tagged with something else. So under cover four, cut. And if you get the right call, you can cut or something. You know, do, do some sort of combo version on one guy that they want to do that to. And usually when we're talking about these stripped-down portions, what I'm, what I'm sort of referring to here is you, you remove those. You take the cut call out. You just run basic four. You know, you just run four, first out, first in, first up. You know, some basic stuff, two vert. One guy, the safety will have two vert. Uh, inside linebacker or the inside defensive back will have first inside. The other guy to the outside corner is going to have first outside. He'll have one. Something along those lines, you know, where it's basically trying to make it very defined so they can't screw up. And unfortunately, they got a couple guys who are, have been struggling with even the basic stuff. And, you know, 
there's just too many smart coaches in that room that I know coach really well and get their guys prepared really well. And there's too many other smart players in the field that some who are making mistakes that are really smart guys, that that is why this probably burns the most. Uh, Stephon Gilmore is going to get a lot of heat because he makes a lot of money and he's made a lot of mistakes. And that's reasonable. I don't think there's anything you know that, that's that's not warranted there, uh, especially in that there was a little bit of tone about you know uh, I'm going to keep doing what I do kind of thing, and and you're reading some of the media stuff coming out of Buffalo. the 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 the, the occasional backbreaker mistake was was something that they knew about. So, you know, and I, again, I'll say this: I, I think he's a guy I've seen around a bit, and and heard a lot of good vibes about how him, how he handles himself in media, the community stuff he does on days off. This isn't a bad dude. This is a good guy. You know, this is a good guy. They, they did the research on this guy to get him in the organization. I just don't think they anticipated him having mental busts or struggling this much with just sort of the in and out of working with his teammates. So that's got to get better. There's really no way to dance around that one. He, he's got to play better. He just does, you know, covering his guy really well for 70 snaps, but having three, four of these, two being a penalty, two being sort of mental bust, that's just too big of a number because there's too much consequence when you have the bad ones. So Eric Rowe, he, he didn't play perfectly either, uh, but he got injured, um, and you're not going to really get to see what he can do until he's back full strength. But it half made me wonder if Coach Belichick would go into a situation where he just starts putting the screws to guys and say, I don't care what you make. I don't care what your role was. we got to get guys that don't make mistakes. But I, I think Gilmore retains his role. Um because they don't have that next guy. Um, Batamati, Batamosi, I'm blanking on the name, how to say it, but uh, the defensive back that came over from Detroit, he's been making plays all over the field on special teams on time, so when he's had opportunities. Uh, but uh, Batamosi, uh, Johnson Batamosi, number 29. He's your other sort of depth defensive back that's up for the, for up, up for game day um, and maybe out there occasionally now. Jonathan Jones will move into the third corner spot with Rowe down, uh, but who knows, maybe number 29 gets a shot. And a lot of it will be not who's the best coverage guy, but who doesn't bust. I mean, who doesn't bust? I mean, that's that's we're really kind of at that point. I think turning the focus back to Adam Butler and Dietrich Wise, featuring those guys, getting them on the field more, letting those guys make plays, it, it just is what it is, guys. I mean, I, I saw people sort of talking about Jabal Sheard and how good he looked uh, in the Colts game uh, against uh, Seattle the other night. It was on primetime, so people noticed what he was doing. He's not doing better than Dietrich Wise is, and I like Sheard a lot. I think he's obviously a good player, but for a big money, they're getting at least that, if not better, rushes out of this new dude. He's a player, so you don't have some sort of problem there. Adam Butler, when he's on the field, he makes plays. He, to me, needs more opportunities. Those are good players. Lawrence Guy, he's just an accountable guy that always wins his block. Um, the two bigs, they got – you know, room to grow, uh, too much inconsistency. Malcolm Brown's a very good player for them, but uh, he's been up and down, much like Alan Branch has been up and down in my view. So I've seen him win a lot, seen him lose a lot, and they don't want that. They want nice and steady kind of stuff. So everyone, this and again, this is not meant to be sort of a call-out session. You know, I hate that shit, uh, especially when it's coming from media members, which now technically I am one because – Invariably, when I mention four names, uh, you'll think that those are the four biggest problems on the team, and that absolves everyone else. It's not that. You, you can literally go down the 53 and find mistakes with each and every guy, and some of them more egregious than the others, and that's why we spend a little more time on them. But I think when, when Coach Belichick gives the speeches, it, it may strike your ear as a little bit BS. It's like, oh, he's just 
you know, he's just hammering this guy, or, or I'm sorry, he's just covering for this guy by saying that we're all mistakes. We all made mistakes. We got to coach better. We got to play better. You know, it always sounds like BS, but the reality of the film, they all got to coach better. They all got to play better. It is. It like literally is what the problem is, it, it, because the coach better part of it isn't call different stuff. It's maybe just take responsibilities away from some people because they're not handling it. And again, I say this not as some mightier than or higher than now kind of situation. I've had. <laughs> opportunities taken away from me for fuck-ups and I know it to be how things are handled when I would make mistakes I get my opportunities I didn't do enough with them they'd usually go away for a few weeks and then you have to earn them back so that's not unusual I won't be surprised if we start seeing a lot of that Uh, one sort of final parting thought here before we get into how I think the approach should be in in sort of a five minutes or left thing with Tampa I want to see more David Harris, and that's not pom-poming for a guy I used to play with. It's what I like about David Harris uh, is the accountability in the box. You don't see missteps in run fits. You don't see overplays. You don't see running wildly. You see that he's a do-your-job guy on the interior. And they're seeing something I'm not. I'm not at practice. I don't know what's going on with Dave, but he was inactive this week. And I think the particular errors they're having on those inside runs and some of the overplays – that's the stuff he doesn't screw up. He doesn't run out of there. And again, people are going to say, oh, it's because he's slow. No, nah, he just he, he takes smart steps. No, his sprinting speed's not great, but none of these guys are like blazers. So I'm looking at this, and I'm saying if I wanted to problem solve on limited information, granted I'm not seeing how he's practicing or if there's an injury or if there's been poor practice play that, that keeps them from wanting to give him this role – He's just an accountable, wins my block, win my block, uh, be in the right spot every time. And I think the way the D has been gashed lately, you need more of those kind of guys on the field, the reliable dudes, not the potential guys, the reliable guys. That's maybe the old guy and me talking. But I also like the idea of Hightower getting more work inside. Uh, this isn't to get rid of a Landon Roberts. We all know I love him. I've been, I've been pumping him up for two years. Um, but when things get a little ragged, and teams are going to do misdirection, and they're doing it to screw the young guys. And they found some soft spots. So I think putting a Landon back into sort of a rotational situation behind the other two, or at least behind another one inside linebacker, everyone will play better. I mean, even if you get your your reps reduced, that doesn't mean you still can't play at a super high level. I think it would be good for maybe everyone, for every for all the, the experienced guys to get more involved. And I think with the idea of Hightower moving back inside and then maybe a defensive end as a rusher in, in obvious third-down rushing situations, but more of a middle-of-the-field kind of guy in rundowns, I think it just really solidifies what you going on, got going on in t- tackle to tackle. I think you need to be elite there. I think you can get away with good but not great edge presence. I'm a good one. I'm not great. So what I can tell you is you can get away with a guy who can set the edge but may not be dynamic on the edge. I was one of those. So I think if you have to, I'm not dynamic in any way, but I could do one simple job. And I think they, they can get away with a guy like that on the outside. Maybe it's this Marquise Flowers. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's, it's Mar, uh, Cassius Marsh, who I think has been improving. But just getting a guy that says, okay, you're not going to, Hightower can do a lot more stuff. I get it. But you, we need you to just set the damn edge. You know, make sure that this is not, sort of a leaky portion of the tub. Um, Don't let it come out your way and be really accountable there so that he can go back to the middle of the thing and be the captain, be the captain of the middle of defense. I think they're kind of at the point where they'd be better off that way. Again, it's an outsider's view. 
They may not see it that way, but I think for the outside set-the-edge job in the first and second down stuff can be done by average players. And I'm not speaking down. I'm not using average in a negative connotation. I get that I was an average player. So I'm just curious to see if they see it the same way. They may not, but uh, I really like Dante Hightower back in the middle if he's healthy enough with the knee to feel like he can sort of laterally move on the inside and and shed blocks that way. So now we're going to talk about Tampa, and we're going to do it briefly because I think we're just going to do it here in the context of, of what makes sense relative to what they got going on. Short week, big advantage Patriots because of the way their offense is, the way it is is so complex. There's so many different targets. There's so many different formations. There's so many different ways they build things. Tom is willing to go so many different places with the ball. There's screens. There's double screens. There's jet jet sweep elements. There's reverse elements, the true old kind. There's spread. There's five persons, the true spread with five. There's the spread where it's just four and a near back who eventually becomes a part of it. There's five, six, and seven-man protection. There's there's uh, there's tear screens. There's bubble screens. There's <laughs> screens to the back. There's draw series. There's two-back series back to the pro stuff where they involve the fullback. There's you know ISO stuff with a tight end from pro. It's just it's so friggin' much stuff, people. And I was just laundry listing it there to give you a sense of all that you would need to prepare for. And other weeks with other teams, that it's a fraction of all that stuff where it's real. You know, everyone's got a lot of plays, but where is it real? And there's a threat. And the the thing that's unique with New England is so many of their things are legitimate threats. They could have led with a dozen different things and have it been no less effective than the last. That's unique. That's tough to prepare for. It's good to have the full week to walk through uh, a few practices and then face the Patriots' offense. That's terrifying to me, and I'm saying that as a, as the former Jets and me player. You know, the years I was there, looking back across uh, at that team and knowing the amount of preparation it goes to get in and put a good a good effort against them, and and how how scary it would be to not have the information you need to sort of sniff out some of the plays so you don't just get hosed trying to read and react in live time. So, anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Uh, I think it's definitely an advantage for the Patriots. Can they pull it off? Do they go into the tank now here after a lot of negative pressure? They're usually not that kind of team you know there's there's too many of those personalities there that I think respond well when it's going poorly and I think the best example of that is actually for the Patriots defense in game they knew they were getting shat on I mean the, the crowd there was a murmur right and and there was some yelling on the sidelines saw uh Matt Patricia at least I saw on the broadcast starting to land to guys and rightfully so Bill sort of beside himself how can you get these guys to get a stop and they had two really good end of game uh, series, and that shows me that, yeah, there's problems. It's, they're undeniable, but they, in the biggest moments when pressed, can get it done. So this is a whole week of them. This is a whole week of being pressed. This is a whole week of reading that people are doubting you if they want to, you know, if they if they have the antennas up, if they have the rabbit ears. But um, I will place a chip now. I will say now in in good confidence, and it's probably a form of bias. I get that. But it's faith in, in Coach Belichick and Matt Patricia and, and Josh Boyer and, 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 and B-Flo and all the other coaches there on that staff, how smart they are at problem solving. That doesn't mean they're not you know, able to get in problems. They've clearly done that. So there's been mistakes that have got them there. But I think these are these are good people to get out of problems, and they've got more than enough pieces to work with. 
So it's eliminate mistakes. How do you create plans that don't allow them to make mistakes? You take options away from guys. You don't you don't give them any options. You play pretty vanilla stuff. And that may frustrate people. You might have big yards games here for a couple weeks. You might have yards that still make you pissed, but with lower points. Why? To prevent these busted-ass plays. You can't have busts. You just can't. I mean, it, you got to sort of roll this back to – to 1950s travel, you know, to try to, to try to prevent the mistakes. So I, I think there's definitely a way to do this. It's not magic wand, as Coach Belichick says. There's not one call. It's just getting the pros to do what they're supposed to do, and it'll be a process. Uh, I like the personnel they have. I don't look at one of the 11 spots and say that one needs to be better or you're going to always have problems. There isn't one. Lawrence Guy, no. Uh, Malcolm Brown, no. Uh, Branch, when he's playing as he plays, no. Uh, Cassius Marsh, it, it's a job with a limited role, and it's a job that I think he can do, and I've seen him do it. You know, he, he just needs to avoid the one or two bad ones a game, but he can play. Uh, Flowers, he's all over the formation. You can you can do just about everything you need him. He's one of your best players. No, that's not a problem. Uh, Landon Roberts in a limited role, he can do it. Yes, uh, in an expanded role, now there's been bumps, so it's more about just controlling what he can do. David Harris, I think he can contribute. Get him back in there. Dante Hightower can do so much for you. That's a good player. He's not hurting you. You don't need someone different him that could play better. Malcolm Butler, great player. Uh, you know, yeah, he'll give up some catches from time to time, but he's competitive. You can win with Malcolm Butler. I think we all know that. You can win because of Malcolm Butler. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, he can play. Just got to get him to stop fucking up, and that's that's really what it is. The guy's a baller. I think in the long run, people are going to be happy with what he can do. But I think this is the kind of place that, you know, maybe Rex Ryan was different with him. I don't know. wasn't there on the ground. But this is the kind of place that will have low tolerance. I think he's going to be tested verbally, insulted probably, uh, threatened with playtime, maybe. Who knows? But they won't allow him to make the mistakes over and over again. And I think it will help him. I think it will fix him. And I think he'll look back on this in December and say, I'm glad I got challenged because now I'm a, I'm the Pro Bowl level kind of guy that everyone expected. Um, safety position, Deron. And Devin rocks, you know. Yes, Devin's getting beat a few times in some man-man coverage situations. I don't think he'll live down there. I think they do that as a change-up. But you need him, especially in dark times. He's the guy that you want this defense turning to because he's a sensible dude. He's a smart guy. He's got great range. He does a lot for you. He doesn't play perfectly, but he's as high into safety as there is out there in a the league. So don't just use the occasional non-perfect play as sort of rational out to, to go get another one. There aren't other ones. He, he's the guy. Uh, Patrick Chung, he's a leader. Yes, he's given up a couple plays in the last few weeks. Uh, I think he's probably one of those guys that when things go bad, he gets a little ragged. But I love Pat. Uh, I think he's he's someone you want on your team. He's someone you want out there fighting with you. He makes his mistake from time to time, but he comes back stronger after them. I think he'll do well being challenged this week. So I think that's kind of your crew, and, and maybe it sounds too pom-pommy, but I think one thing that I would have – I was careful to do when I took my notes, and this is really extending back really over four weeks. I've been looking for a hole in the dam. I've been looking for a, you know what, they need they need to look at a little something else at this spot. This guy isn't good enough. You know, like the blocker of crossroom, he gets him every time. That isn't happening. It's just an unusual amount of bus, bus, bus. I'm talking five, six, seven, eight of these things a game that – or game killers, and that's what's going on. So got to find an answer to that against Tampa, who will come out you with a two-tight end offense. It's going to be O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait. So some of the stuff you saw from Dixon, they'll go back and attempt to replicate the ISO situations, the give Winston options with two of those guys. Doug Martin comes back. We don't know what we'll get from him. He won't have a full padded practice under his belt because of the short week, so maybe it's not very much. 
Um, and, and what does that mean? It's a team that you need to stop their running game to make sure play action and the deep stuff uh, with with Winston to Evans doesn't get rolling. So keep the, the, the run game on early downs down. The Patriots did a by and large good job of that a week ago. They gave a couple up late that poisoned it. But I think they go back to basics here in a short week and take that away. And it can make that often. It's very limited. They're dangerous at the two tight end spots, and they're elite at Mike Evans' spot as far as jump balls. You'd presume that that would mean him drawing more Stephon Gilmore, a better body type match. But if they start hiding Evans in some of these stacks, if they start hiding them in some of the bunches, you may not be able to direct the covers with whom you want. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that, obviously. So it's uh, it's going to be a challenging week uh, that, that has not been an explosive offense in Tampa, but we also know that doesn't mean anything. Neither was Carolina. you know. Neither was Houston. People have found themselves against you, so you just got to go out and play better. You've been challenged. Go get it done. And I think the Patriots can. But uh, sometimes I think in situations like this, it's good to be uh, it's good to have a little bit of a rough, rough time, but to get to go away. Go together as a team. Bond. Get in these meeting rooms. Sort of have the heart-to-hearts about what you think it's going to take. Change it. Uh, be willing to talk in an open forum about what's fucked up, about what's going on, and what needs to change. And feeling the heat from your teammates, feeling your buddy, you know, side eyeing you a little bit, and knowing that hey, this can't continue to happen because we're trying to win games here. So everyone holding everyone accountable, and and going back to being one of the better defenses in the league instead of the worst, which is just the f- you know the facts of where they are right now. So I think they'll crawl, crawl they'll claw their way back. I think it is going to take about a month though to get there. We'll keep an eye on it. This was your Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. Thanks again for your patronage. Send this thing along. I'd like to have every Patriots fan out there in Patriots Nation listen through to this thing. Uh, there's going to be a lot of questions about what they need to do if it's firing Patricia, if you know, which is asinine to me. I'm just saying I'm, I'm throwing out the hot takes of what you think, you know, what you expect to be thrown out there. This is not a coordinator issue, a matter of what calls they're in. The calls they're in are calls that every pro should be able to make. At some point, you just have to be a pro and make the plays. Uh, sometimes some of that heat comes back to, to the defensive back coaches or your position coach. So I can just simply share this as much. And I'm not putting it on, on board, not at all. He's, he's, he's gotten, you put it, you, all you can do is put it in a guy's lap, and if the guy doesn't execute it, it's on him, right? And, you know, you don't know if it's the coach or the guy if you don't have a track record with the coach, but if the, track, the coach has a track record of getting guys up to speed and the guy won't play at that speed, or mentally anyway, then you know it's the guy. And you got to get that guy up to you know up to par with the rest of the crew. So that'll be sort of on his plate. You know he's probably getting heat as a as a as a great coach anyway. You know they're going to be in his ear and saying get these guys right. We don't need them contributing to to losses. So that's that's what comes next, and uh, we'll see where it is. We'll see where it goes. Uh, offensively, expect this group to explode against Tampa. Um, I, I I don't. I love the matchup, uh, smaller, faster linebackers, uh, you know, some defensive linemen who are aggressive in their pass rush. I think this group takes advantage of aggressive upfield guys. I think they're built a lot like Carolina, and that Carolina front didn't give the Patriots offensive line a ton of trouble, at least until they got into the gaming. Can they put together a gaming plan in a short week and walk through practices? Eh, I don't know. They, 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 they should be able to counter that, and I expect a big plus 30 game from the offense. We will see. All right, once again, the Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. Thanks for sharing this thing out there. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, give me some feedback out there on the old Twitterverse, and uh, 
I'll try to incorporate it in the show as we go forward. Hope this was informative. Certainly don't uh, don't know how to say to solve it, but we can at least break down and be honest about what was wrong and keep an eye on them and how they resolve to change it. So we'll do that. Talk at you next week. Enjoy this, not weekend's game, but Thursday. Weird. Hate them. Take care, folks. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Night, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.